unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. It is a Saturday morning. What a week we've had. Holy cow. Have you recovered from the elections yet? Have you recovered? Are you still digesting? I mean, the elections technically, I guess, aren't over in some areas. we got a lot to cover today on the program, uh, mostly talking across the state of Kansas here. The election recaps what happened across the state, Sedgwick County, and a heck of a lot more. Welcome into Kansas Talk. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 KQAM, Wichita's number one local conservative talk radio show by a long stretch. And we love you to death and appreciate you very, very much. Welcome into the program. 316-721-8255, 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the show, I would love to hear from you. I want to get your thoughts on the election. We won some, we lost some. We'll break it all down. One, still lingering, hanging out there in the balance as well. The constitutional amendment in the state of Kansas still undecided, still not called yet for that ballot question number one on legislative oversight of the executive branch and the bureaucratic agencies. We still don't know what's going on with that one. So we'll talk about that and more. Got a lot to get to today, for sure. First and foremost, I do want to thank again Congressman Ron Estes from the 4th Congressional District and his entire team allowing me to MC the election party on Tuesday night again, jumping up there, giving election updates throughout the night, introducing some of the great speakers, including House Majority Leader Dan Hawkins, Senate President Ty Masterson, who introduced the congressman after his big victory on the night. I always love doing that. This is the third election cycle I've been able to do that, and I love those guys to death. Their entire team is absolutely amazing. Thank you very much for allowing me to do that again, and we had a blast. I think everybody, hopefully... Got to enjoy. And by the way, the Cozine Family Event Center up at, uh, uh, what is that, 21st and whatever the street is. I don't remember. Greenwich Is it Greenwich? I think it was Greenwich and 21st. The Cozine Family Event Center where they held the election party. The Cozine Family, absolutely amazing. We love you guys to death as well. Thank you so much for being so hospitable to that election party and uh, opening your doors to us and allowing us to be able to do that. It was wonderful. It was amazing. We had so much fun. And it was the perfect layout as well for that event for the election night. So had a lot of fun. Hopefully you were able to make it and uh, we got to talk about some election coverage. We'll break down the elections here in just a little bit. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. Coming up on the program today in the 10 o'clock hour, it is loaded up in full. We have Stephen Johnson, our new Kansas treasurer-elect. We'll chat with him on the program to talk about the state budget, talk about taxes, talk about inflation, talk about what we can do to kind of get our budget under control here in the state. We'll kick off hour number two with him at the bottom of next hour as well. We have Chris Kobach, our new attorney general elect as well. I tell you what, man, both of those, uh, along with the governor's race and all the other statewide races, they it's like pins and needles. You're waiting on the edge of your seat all night. The Democrats, because the way our electoral system works apparently here in Kansas, is they account for Topeka and Kansas City and Wichita. Those are the ones that come in reporting first on election night. So the Democrats always have this, like, 50-point jump that they always lead with, and then as the rest of the state begins to trickle in and report their numbers, then it's like the the comeback kid that always has to like squeak past them at the end of the day. And Chris Kobach's race was close all the way up to the end, 
But we did end up winning that one. And congratulations to Chris Kobach. Congratulations to Stephen Johnson and Scott Schwab, our Secretary of State, as well, for continuing being our Secretary of State. We just didn't have enough for that governor's race. We will break down all those numbers here in just a little bit. All of it presented by Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. Buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. Make sure to check them out at philscoins.com. They are also opening up here in just about 25 minutes or so uh, for you until 2.30 this afternoon. And in studio with us right now to give us a recap and more, Mr. Phil Martinez. Phil, how are you, my friend? I'm just fine. How are you? Good, good. Happy Saturday. Uh, we're trying to still just come down from these elections. Holy cow, what a week. I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm taking the rest of the week off after the show's done. I'm going home and not doing anything else for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> yeah, I wish. Yeah, that would be nice. Yeah, I wish I could do that. That would be nice. Some of us work for a living. That, yeah, some of us actually have to work here. Yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah. No, uh, now that we have a transition in power here at the state level, we're not quite sure what the leadership's going to look like in Washington, D.C. yet. Inflation, of course, the Biden administration parading around that the inflation has dropped from over 9% to 7.7%. The economy's back on track. Is that what you're seeing there on the home front as well? He's an idiot. I'm sorry. My wife went to the grocery store the other day, and she comes home, and she pulls this jar of Miracle Whip out, and she goes, look at this. I could usually get it on sale for like $1.75, and it's $7. Oh, my gosh. And, and, and I'm sitting there going, how does how does the average family that was living paycheck to paycheck pay their bills? Pay their bills. Just how, how, do, these people, how do these people survive? Yeah. I mean, I, I look at gas. I mean, you know, gas – Right after the election, gas went up because the government's been trying to hold it down so they don't look so bad, and gas has started up again. Somebody was telling me the other day they're talking $10 gas in California. I mean, you know, it's... It has jumped up about 10, 15 cents here in, in Wichita, too. I, that's what I'm saying, yeah. 22 cents or something like that. And, you know, and I, I just thought one guy, and he goes, 71% of the country thinks we're headed in the wrong direction. How in the hell did the Democrats win anything? Yeah. And they did. So you Democrats out there that are working in these election polls and still stuffing these ballot boxes, <laughs> keep up the good work. Keep up the good work. Doing a fantastic job. It was surprising. Again, we expected a red tidal wave, a red tsunami on Tuesday night. We did not get that. We Now, I will say, though, that we squeaked out. We did squeak out. It was painstakingly brutal, but we did squeak out a victory. We, have, we will have a majority in the House of Representatives. We don't know the official number yet, but we will win that. Uh, the Senate, I'm still optimistic. We have Arizona that's still up in the air. We have Nevada that's still up in the air, and the Republicans are really close on both of those. We have the runoff in Georgia. I'm still, being the eternal optimist that I am, still predicting a two-vote majority in the Senate. Uh, but even if we don't, the fact that we have the House of Representatives means all legislation can be stagnant for the next two years, which is yep. good news. Yep. But again, the big question is why was it so close, and what drove Democrats to the polls when things are so bad, how would they continue the direction that we have right now? That That is kind of a mind-boggling puzzle to me. I don't know. Somebody made the statement the other day that if you're doing better under the Biden administration than under the Trump administration, then you should go out and vote Democrat. Yeah. But if you're not, which, God, a jar of miracle whip will tell you the answer to that and gasoline prices and everything else. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm just sitting here that I, I, I don't understand it. I mean, you and I was talking earlier about Chicago and Detroit and places like that and, and these people that are living in poverty and, and don't have jobs and are living on welfare and, and living in poor housing and, 
and have no way of getting around living hand to mouth and everything else. And yet they still, these are the people that have got them in chains and kept them in chains in most of these places for 25 years. And they still go out and vote for the same people that keep them in chains. I do not understand why I would go out and vote for somebody different, hoping that maybe my, my child, I mean, in America, I thought the whole goal of every parent was to have the kids have it better than they had it. And yet they continue to vote for the people that are keeping them in bondage and they're not doing anything about their children. Yeah. I mean, do these people not care about their kids anymore? I don't know. It just drives me. It drives me up the wall. It is the it is the mysteries of life trying to understand the thought process on some of these. And again, but I, I think that there is a lack of understanding of what opportunities are out there. I think for some communities yeah. and for some areas, they've never tasted it. They've never seen freedom. They've never seen opportunity. So they don't know that it's there. So they continue to vote because they think that's the best it's ever going to get. And I wonder Man. if that's the mindset in some community, which is heartbreaking. It is. And uh, Donald Trump started to break that door open when he went to certain communities across the nation yeah. and said, you voted for Democrats for 60 years and look at where you're at. What have you got to lose? Try right. something different. And it started to work. Republicans at the national level and at the statewide levels need to continue that messaging and say, hey, what have you got to lose? The policies that you've been voting for for 60 plus years are not working. It's, tried, it's time to try something different. Yeah. It is unfortunate. In the gold and silver market, let's oh talk about Lord. that for a second. <laughs> I know that you have been absolutely swamped. You have started to run out. The last time we talked that you were kind of getting down to the bare minimum with some of the silver that you had on hand with massive amounts being ordered for you. Did the elections help or hurt that process? Where are you at right now? Right now, the last couple of weeks, things have kind of slowed down. I think maybe they thought that if we get enough Republicans that – we could take a breath. We, we, we could take breath, and some things would things would change, or things that wouldn't come about. But uh, uh, two weeks ago, we actually ran completely out of silver. Oh my! We were completely out. My wife and I loaned the company twenty five hundred ounces of our own personal silver mm. to keep the doors open. We actually sold silver that we had to deliver at a like a week, week and a half delay. Uh, I mean, if you go back. Basically, six weeks ago, we had 41,000 ounces of silver in the store. Wow. And two weeks ago, when we ran out, we were completely out, uh, I, uh, and I had 50,000 ounces on order. So that tells me that I can sell 50,000 ounces. <laughs> now, you got to understand, I get silver every week, yeah. literally. So if I'm getting silver every week, I can still sell 50,000 ounces faster than I can get it back in. Good golly. But there's but uh, but if things continue at the rates they are, uh, I talked to a guy the other day that read an article that said that we're using 25,000 25, tons of silver using more a year than what we're mining. So, and 94, got 94% of everything being mined right now is going straight into, I mean, think about all the millions of phones they're making and computers they're making and computers for your cars and everything else and all these new battery operated cars they're going to have to have silver in there somewhere right and so you know this is, demand is is staggering right now and i'm telling everybody by if things continue the way they are by april i predict that you could be seeing anywhere from a 30 to 90 day wait and i don't care who you are even i mean i'm already waiting 30 to 30 to 60 days for the silver that i'm getting now and i have seen it as far as 90 days out so you know, so people just, they're so used to just walking in and, and us having it. I mean, they, they almost think I'm a criminal when I tell them no, but I don't have it. 
My supply, my supplier, if you want to buy silver from my supplier, one, he's a dollar an ounce cheaper than, higher than I am. I'm sorry, dollar an ounce, higher than I am. There's no quantity discounts for 20 or 20 or 100 or 500. It's all the same price straight through. Yeah. And anything you buy, you sign a deal and you get it in 30 days. And it's been like that for a year. Yeah. And then my people walk in and, well, what do you mean you don't have there? I want the flat 10-ounce bar, not the little chunky 10-ounce bar. And I'm telling them, hey, when I call and they tell me they've got 10-ounce bars, I don't even ask what they've got. I'm so desperate to get anything I can get. To, I just take it. You want, to, you want to bring it back and trade it for another 10-ounce bar that you like later? I don't care. But it, it, it's crazy right now. Okay, here's the, here's the next question. Is you said that your supplier is a dollar an ounce higher than what you are. How are you getting it and then selling it at a cheaper rate from what you're actually bringing it in here? Like, are you actually even making anything Oh, right no, 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 no. I'm making money. Okay. He's, bu- he's, right. buying it, he's buying it from his distributor. Uh, okay. Uh, but at the same time, because of the volume we do, well, think about that. 50,000 ounces in that's a month. Yeah. So that's a lot of, you know, we, we, I said we are his number one supplier. He works on a very, very short margin with us. Sure. But at the same time, I mean, I, there's lots of times I've got guys that I go to shows and used to go to Hot Springs, Arkansas and buy Silver Eagles when they'd first come out at the first of the year from a dealer down there. He'd bring them to me at the show and I'd put them out. I'd sell them to the public for less than what he said. He was selling them to the public for. Sure. And he, you know, he had, he had more room in them than I did. But, uh, I've I've never learned to get greedy, and and maybe that's my problem. I mean, you know, some some guy came the other day, and Atmex Atmex right now is a buck higher. Atmex is a dollar higher than we are. Yeah. And uh, but if you want to buy like a hundred ounces, you're thirty to forty five days out. And you walk in and want a hundred ounces, we can take care of it. We have silver in stock right now. You have some silver in stock, and as you said, it's, it slowed down a little bit. I agree with you. I think that it was in the anticipation that we were going to have this red wave, that things were going to get back on track. We could take a breather. I am guesstimating things might pick up again here a little bit uh, with the uncertainty of what's going to happen. So I guess, are you ready for that one now? No, I, I just, it's, I told my wife, this has been a welcome relief because technically my supplier still got all these orders for silver out there. So he's getting in silver. We're starting to pick up some huge orders, amounts of silver coming in here, there and yonder. Yeah. But, uh, but, but just trying to get silver. We, we were laughing yesterday, yesterday. Yesterday was the first time in six months that we didn't order silver or gold. Wow! First day we we order we order every day. Sometimes sometimes as many as five times a day. But we sold a bunch of gold late at the, late in the day, and so I'm gonna have to go in first thing in the morning, and I'm gonna have to find I'm gonna have to call somebody at their house. I'm gonna have to go out and call them at their house and get my name on the list for silver to be shipped to be shipped Monday. Absolute insanity. We're talking with Phil Martinez, Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue, buying, selling, and trading with honesty and integrity for all your gold and silver needs. If you need gold or silver, I would recommend now's the time to go and do that as things begin to pick up again, especially for the holidays, especially for the holidays, which I can imagine is going to be uh, a little bit busier as well. Let's take a break here real quick. When we come back, we'll talk some more about the gold and silver market. We'll talk about how it's going to affect the economy moving forward and tie it all in with the elections, which I do want to get your thoughts on election season we have all the numbers for you where they're at right now as they continue to get finalized and where we're at with that constitutional amendment that has not been called yet here in the state we're going to spend some time breaking down those races along with the governor's race what the heck happened there fascinating stuff for you right we'll get to all that and more it is kansas talk your home for conservative talk radio here in the wichita area right back after this right here on the big talker 1480 kqam 
Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker 1480 KQAM. Thanks for hanging out this Saturday, talking about some gold and silver markets. The inflation, thats it's down to 7.7%. Aren't you excited? The economy is back on track. Joe Biden and the Democrats have saved the economy by raising interest rates so high that you can't buy anything now. But now because you can't buy anything, inflation's down to 7%. It only took five different interest <laughs> rate hikes. Yeah. <laughs> it only took I five interest rate hikes. Up. I'm, I'm sorry. You. Man, it's a, I, that's the way they say it. They say that they fixed the economy, they created 10 million jobs in the country, that you know that everything's going great. I mean, that's the, that's the Biden economy. Why can't we just get on board and just think about positive things like that? I think positively he's an idiot. I'm thinking positively. He's still an idiot. It's still a struggle there. So with gold and silver the way it is, uh, being harder to find, I was looking at the stock market here. It closed yesterday. Uh, still sitting at just under $22, $21.79 is what it closed at yesterday. So if we're using massive amounts more silver than what's actually being mined right now, how in the world is it still so low? You have all these banks that are too big to fail, and they are I buying. Hate that word. They are selling. They are selling silver they don't have on paper. They're shorting the markets on paper, driving the price down. Isn't that what happened when the stock market busts? You know, back in the twenties. Yeah, well, they're, they're, but they're they're trying to drive it all down so they can buy it physically because it's cheaper to buy when it's down. Yeah, and it's so I'm telling my people, and I'm telling all you people out there. How smart do you have to be to buy silver and gold when the banks are buying silver and gold? They're not buying this. They're not buying this to lose money. I guarantee you. And at some point, the the, the silver will get away from them. And when it does, Hold it's, on. It's, it's, it's going to take. Yeah, I mean, I I don't think we're. You know, I still think we could see. Uh, we're getting running out of time. I think we still see thirty dollars silver by Christmas. By Christmas. Well, I mean, the wow. other day it was eighteen dollars, and now we're almost twenty-two. Sure. I mean, we're and when when it's moving, we're you know today's the markets are closed, but when, when it's moving, we're seeing silver move fifty cents, dollar, dollar and a half a day. Yeah. I mean, a dollar and a half a day, five days, seven and a half bucks. You're at thirty dollars. Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't take much to drive it to thirty bucks. I by April, uh, by April, I expect to see thirty to forty dollars silver by April. Man, so in other words, if uh, you have the chance to get some silver, now's the time to get it. Uh, I tell people if you don't get in now, don't 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 come crying to me later when I don't have it. And you're got to and you got to wait thirty to sixty. I've actually seen uh, guys. I've seen it out there where I made a phone call and I told a guy I said, "Would you take an order for silver?" And he goes, "Yes." He was the only company I could find that would even talk to me. Mm-hmm. And I said, "So where are we at?" And he goes, "Well, you're about six weeks out." And I said, six weeks. If you're telling me six, I said we're out thirty ninety days." Yeah. Yep. Why did you tell me that? Why would I tell you that? You've got to be an idiot to give me give me twenty because you got to pay in advance. Yeah. Oh, you're, sure. You're going to give me twenty thousand dollars in advance and wait ninety days for wait silver. Ninety days. You've got to be an idiot. That's and insane. And I said, yeah. Well, I've got people that are idiots that are willing to wait ninety. If they'll wait ninety days, that's how it's got to be. Because if you're the only place that will even take an order right now, then I have no choice to buy it from you. And my people either got a choice of waiting or don't wait. And so that that's just where it is. And I can see this coming up. And I predict by April of next year that you know anything anything will be thirty to ninety days out. That is insane. And and then if it does hit 30 to $40 an ounce, then we could see the reverse and start seeing people come in and start selling things off massively to uh, try and get some of that cash after buying it at $18, $19, $20 an ounce. We're out of time, my friend. It is Phil's Coins, 9344 West Central Avenue. They're about ready to open up here momentarily until 2.30 this afternoon. Also, check them out online at philscoins.com. Phil Martinez. It's good to see you, my friend. It's good to see you, and God bless all you people out there. Always good to chat with you. We'll talk to you again here real soon. 
As we get crazy to even think about getting closer to Thanksgiving holiday. When we come back, open lines to you. We're going to run down some of the numbers from the final election results here in Kansas. We're going to break some of those races down. We'll talk about the governor's race. We'll talk about some more stuff. Get your thoughts on it right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. show at 316-721-8255. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier on Wichita's Big Talker, KQAM. Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 KQAM. Always a pleasure to have you along for the ride. Every Saturday morning, getting you up and moving for the day and for the weekend. It's bitter outside. I love it. I love it. I walked outside this morning in the, what is it? It's already 26 degrees right now. It was like 18 or 20 degrees when I woke up this morning. Walked outside in my t-shirt and my shorts, took a big old deep breath. Got woken up, ready to go for the day. That's what it's all about. We're going to continue it on. Welcome in. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK if you want to join into the show. Uh, we have some calls online. We'll get to you in a second here. But I want to give some updates on the latest. If you have not heard, kind of the finalizations-ish of how the elections have gone uh, for... Where's my little sounder here? Not the one I'm looking for. Let's do that one. Why not? What the heck? We'll break these down here in just a minute but to kind of give you a quick rundown of how things look and fared across the state of Kansas. In the Attorney General's race, Chris Kobach again squeaked that one out, finishing off the race 51-48 to 48 over Chris Mann, the Democrat, with about a 22,000-vote margin on that one. In the Governor's race, which we will spend some time on throughout the show today, Laura Kelly ends up winning over Derek Schmidt, 49.2 to 47.7. Dennis Pyle, the Independent, won 2% of the vote there. The Libertarian, Seth Cordell, uh, sitting at 1.1%. In the Secretary of State's race, Scott Schwab over Gianna Repass, uh, sitting 58 to 38. That one was down a little bit as well with the early voting until it shot ahead. Wasn't too concerned about that. Congratulations to Scott Schwab. We'll have him back on the show again soon. In the congressional races, Tracy Mann, the big first district in the western part of Kansas, dominating over James Beard, the Democrat, 68 to 31 in his race. Jake Turner. I was concerned, got to be honest, was concerned a bit about that race as he was down for a large portion of the night before he squeaked out that victory. Ended up not being too close, but at the same time, I was worried for a while. 57 to 42, the final numbers for Jake LaTurner in the second district. In the third district, Sharice Davids over Amanda Adkins, 43, uh, 54 to 43 for that one. The Democrat maintains that one congressional seat in Kansas. Very frustrating. That is the second time that Sharice Davids has beat Amanda Adkins. We need a different candidate moving forward in the 3rd Congressional District for that one. We can break that down here in just a bit as well. And right here in our 4th Congressional District, Congressman Ron Estes beating the Democrat challenger Bob Hernandez, 64-36 to in that race. Jerry Moran, the Senate race in this year's election, running away with that one, 60-36, to with 3% going to the Libertarian David Graham in that one. As we mentioned, the constitutional amendment still too close to call right now as we are sitting 99% reporting in. They're waiting for a lot of the mail-in ballots. It doesn't look like it's going to win, but it's still close. 504 to 49.6%. We are less than a percent of, uh, percentage away on that one. I'm really hoping and praying that we can pull this one off. This would be huge and bigly, as Donald Trump likes to say, as we are right about five, 7,000 vote difference in that race for the first uh, uh, question of the constitutional amendment with legislative oversight on the executive branch. The second measure did pass pretty handily, 61 to 38, securing the sheriff's elections 
across the state. Here on the local front, we had a couple big ones as well. Unfortunately, the Wichita School Board District issue did pass with a yes vote, 66 to 34. That one, for those that don't know what that one is, that may live outside of the USD 259 School District, that changes how the elections are done for school board members. My thought here, and we'll get some of the school board members on to talk about this moving forward, my uh, theory was that this uh, this vote initiative was because we got three conservatives on the school board and the school board did not like that. That was after the COVID-19 regulations. That was after the school board wanted to change things up a little bit, get rid of critical race theory, battle some of this, and actually, you know, try and take care of our kids in the area. So instead of having the way it was set up was that you voted in your district of USD 259, you voted in your district for the primary, and then the entire school district voted for all the candidates in the general election. This changes that now to where that candidate gets voted on only in their district that they represent for both the uh, primary and the general election. Many parents not uh, not very happy about that one because they say that they have kids that go to different schools that are in different districts and they want to have a say on who's actually representing them in that district for the school board. In the Cedric County Commission, a big one. We did it, ladies and gentlemen. We should be very happy about this one. Nope, let's try that again. A big one in this race. Hey, there we go. Uh, after the win, and we got rid of Lacey Cruz in the fourth congressional uh, or the fourth commission district for Cedric County Commission. Ryan Beatty, Republican candidate, beating Lacey Cruz fifty-three to forty-seven, a major victory there. We should pat ourselves on the back for that one. Congratulations, Ryan Beatty. We'll have him on the show soon as a county commissioner. Jim Howell handily wins against the Democrat. In the 5th Commission District against John McIntosh, 58-42. Pete Meitzner also wins pretty handily over the Democrat challenger Kelly Grant, 54-46. We will get all of those on the program here pretty soon. And congratulations, big wins there. Real quickly in some of the House districts, overall we maintained about an 84-85 supermajority Republican majority in the House of Representatives. We lost a couple in Johnson County. We won a couple right here in the Wichita area. So again, pat yourselves on the back here in Wichita. Well done. That's amazing. We were able to flip at least one good seat here in the area that we fought really, really hard for. In District 74, my district up in the Newton area, Stephen Owens winning handily over the Libertarian candidate 77 to 23. The District 79, Webster Roth, big win there over Chris Trimmer, 63 to 37. In District number 82, Leah Howell running uh, re-election there, 66 to 34 over the Democrat. Patrick Penn, we had him on the program last week. Congrats, brother. A big win there in the 85th District, 58 to 42. Uh, moving down, Susan Estes, District number 87, 57 to 43 there. The big win, that was our flip here. Huge victory for us, winning a seat that's been Democrat for a very long time. Sandy Picker, we had her on the program a few weeks ago. Sandy Picker, the Republican, beating Chuck Schmidt 52-48. to 48. What a win that we had on that one. Emil Burquist up in the Northern Valley Center area, 65-32 to 32 over the Democrat there. Leo Delperdang, District 94, 65-35 to 35 in that race. A dominant victory there. Dan Hawkins, district number 100, uh, 61 to 39 over Mike McCorkle. If you live on the western part of uh, Wichita over here, you saw the massive amount of McCorkle yard signs that were all over the highway. But Dan Hawkins pulling that victory out, a big one there for him. Congratulations. And Paul Wagner up in the Hutchinson area, district 104, winning pretty handily, 61 to 39. Brenda Landwehr won, Troy Waymaster. We had some big victories. 
these are great wins for us here in the Wichita area. So while it kind of took the steam out of us and took the breath away with the governor's race, overall in the state of Kansas, we went down ballot ticket red across the board. And that's huge for us. Why we didn't win the governor's race, I have my speculations. We'll break that down here in just a little bit. But outside of that one, which begs the question, why did we lose the governor's race when we went down the ballot ticket red overwhelmingly across the state of Kansas? I mean, even the controversial Chris Kobach, that's a very controversial figure statewide and within the Republican Party himself, won by 22,000 votes, won by about three percentage points. That's huge. That's a big win for us, and it just widened the margins beyond that as well, you know, across the board, even in our legislative seats. Why we couldn't get that governor's race is something to speculate and consider. Was it his campaign? Was it the candidate himself? Was it the independent candidate? I want to get your thoughts on that one. But outside of that, pat yourselves on the back because we did well in Kansas. And we still have a supermajority in our legislature to override Governor Kelly's vetoes. And while she tried to play off that she was a moderate, she's not. While she tried to play off that she's going to work with the other side, she's not. How many legislators have we had on this program that sat right across from me in this studio or on the phone and said that they have not spoken to the governor once in her first four years as governor? Governor Brownback, whether you people like him or not, had his cell phone number out to every legislator where they could call him up. He knew all of them by first name and would help them with any issue out there. Governor Kelly walks in with her potsy. She goes in her office. She refuses to talk with Republicans at all. And then whenever they pass something, she takes the credit for it and tries to run away and say that she's actually doing something in this state. She is a fraud. She is a hack. And she lied through her teeth through every campaign ad out there. But it worked. It worked. We'll break some of that down here in just a bit. Outside of that, we should be very happy of what's going on here in the state of Kansas with the wins that we had all across the board. Putting her in a corner, putting her in a little box and limiting what she can do, what we need to have happen right now is that yes vote for the legislative oversight ballot issue number one needs to pass so the legislature can oversee what she's doing and what the Department of Health and Human Services is doing and what every other department and agency that the the bureaucratic fourth branch of government, what they're doing, we need to have oversight over them with, you know, the true representatives that is our legislature, the ones that actually represent the people in our governmental system. That's what we need to have. Unfortunately, all the Supreme Court justices did get retained as well. That's not uncommon. While we tried to push to vote no against some of the retainment of the Supreme Court justices, I still say it's not going to do us any good until we actually finish the job and change the process of how they're nominated. Then we boot their ass out of office and we move forward with a new Supreme Court with a better oversight on how they actually get nominated in the first place. So lots of things covered, lots to talk about, obviously, with things happening all across the board. Even at the local level, we could have a solid Republican county commission again. Can you imagine that with Jim Howell, with Pete Meitzner, who we didn't necessarily like some of the stuff he did during the COVID-19 pandemic, but he's still relatively conservative and we can push him back to that side a little bit. He kind of goes with the flow there. And now with Ryan Beatty beating Lacey Cruz, we have solid county commissioners that can get us back on track in the county as well. And it's just going to be the tear step up from there in the legislature. Let's go to the phones. Get your thoughts on this. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. Line at number one. Good morning. Who's this? Big time Andy Hoosier. Mr. Sean, how are you, my friend? Well, I'm a lot better today than I was the day after the election. <laughs> a little, uh, little upset there, were you? I was thoroughly disgusted. But 
there's a silver lining in every dark cloud. So <clears throat> let's start first with the governor's race and then move quickly to uh, Congress. I'm going to mansplain this, and it's going to be real simple. So when I get done talking about it, won't be nothing left to be said. Okay. And, and yeah, it's like this. The last I saw, uh, the governor had some 20,000 votes more than uh, Schmidt did. Okay, give or take a few. Yes. Probably a little more than 20,000. Right now, now, it's right about, oh, yeah, right about 20,000. You're right. Okay, so those two yahoos that were running, neither one of those guys, and they both got together over 30,000 votes combined. Now, neither one of those two turds had a snowball's chance in hell of getting elected. But they didn't have the common decency to drop out of the race and throw their support behind uh, uh, Schmidt, who would have gotten a lot of their votes, and that, thus he'd be the governor's elect today. Um, uh, so, uh, okay, well, put this into perspective for you, Sean. Here, you're right, and we're gonna we're gonna talk some more in depth about this in a little bit. The difference between Derek Schmidt and Laura Kelly was fourteen thousand nine hundred votes, so fifteen thousand votes. You know how many votes Dennis Pyle got? Nineteen thousand eight hundred. Okay, I I thought I saw twenty thousand something on the um, day after the election, but okay, that's close enough. All right, what about the Libertarian? The Libertarian got ten thousand votes. Yeah, okay, that's that's what I saw. So let, yeah, ag again, so you're absolutely right. The Independent, who we got to remember who the Independent was. He was a staunch conservative, a hardcore conservative that was in the legislature who thought that Derek Schmidt was weak, was a moderate, was middle of the road. He ran with the intent. Now, again, this wasn't like, oh, I'm going to drop out to try and give him the chance because we need to get Kelly out. With the intent, with a personal vendetta, to say, I'm going to try and sabotage this election against Derek Schmidt because I do not like him because he's not pure enough for us as a conservative. So that was his entire intent to pull away anywhere between 2 to 5% of the vote. His campaign, the TV ads, the radio ads, the messaging he got was funded by a Democrat law firm out of Washington, D.C., because Laura Kelly knew that she had capped at her approval rating and had capped at her support across the state, so they funded the Independent to try and pull a little bit away from Derek Schmidt, and the 14,000-vote difference between Kelly and Schmidt went to the 19,000 votes of Dennis Pyle, the 10,000 votes of the Libertarian Seth Cordell. Yes, the independent candidate, the third-party candidate, lost the election. So I hope, and I know we have some, I hope that every individual listening to this program that voted for Dennis Pyle or Seth Cordell because they're the purest, because Derek Schmidt wasn't conservative enough, wasn't good enough, I hope you like the fact that now you have a radical left-wing progressive Democrat is the governor to continue that governorship because Derek Schmidt wasn't good enough for you. I well, hope, I hope that you're proud of what you did because while you align with us more closely as a, you know, as a Republican Party, as a conservative, you align more with us here that you'd rather have a radical left-wing progressive in there than someone who you agree with 50% of the time than someone that you agree with 10% of the time. Go ahead. It's, it's Ross Perot all over again because it smacks of the 92 general election. That's why Ross Perot didn't like Bush. So he ran uh, to cost Bush the election, and Clinton, he only got 43% of the vote. So it's it's deja vu to me. Yeah. And plus, everybody that voted for Schmidt, including, or not Schmidt, but uh, Gomer, uh, every one of them who voted for him, including uh, Gomer himself, and that's probably an insult to Gomer Pyle, uh, 
I think a good case of the crab south of the uh, waistline is called for, and Pyle should be run out of the state on a rail. He'd be strongly encouraged to go move to California or New York or something. I know his campaign, he got money from Democrats, and he had to have known it too. So He did but, know that. Uh, now, what I will say is that he is still a state senator for right now, and I can tell you right now that talking internally to the Republican Party and the leaders within our legislature is that he has been pulled from all committees he has been pulled from any type of uh, authority in the Senate, and he's essentially going to have a desk in the basement, and he has been shunned from the Republican Party because of what he did here. Yeah, he should be – his new office should be the janitor's closet in the basement. <laughs> and in the uh, Capitol Building cafeteria, he should get his own table in the corner where he eats by himself facing the wall. So now yeah. let's move on to Congress right quick. I was never, ever – hopeful of a Republican wave. I had serious doubts about that, okay? And I was right to be afraid about uh, the Senate. And look how things have went, okay? we did. There was no red wave in the House. Uh, I don't know what the, uh, I think it's, what did we get? 20 seats or less, less than that? Let me tell you something, all right? You got too many turncoats in the Republican Party that are going to vote with they're going to reach across the aisle, all right, and they're going to vote to help the Democrats advance their agenda. Yeah, that's called uh, a bipartisanship, I believe, and that's not what the Founding Fathers designed Congress to be, was bipartisan. They meant for it to be partisan for a good reason. There are things that Democrats and Republicans can agree on when it comes to legislature up there on Capitol Hill, but there are some things that you just don't compromise on. If I was up there, I'd reach across the aisle, all right. But I would only do it to poke a Democrat right in the peepers or pop him in the sewer. But uh, Well, look, so here's here's the positive news. Here's the positive news, Sean, and I and I appreciate it. I want to get some other calls here before we run out of time. But here's the positive news is that we, while the tsunami didn't happen, while we didn't get as many seats as what we wanted to, we still have the House of Representatives. And we're going to be in, what, the low 220s, the mid-220s. We are hoping about 230. Didn't quite get that, but we're still going to be over the 218 that we need for the majority. So, therefore, we have the majority in the House of Representatives, which means that now Congress will be stagnant, regardless of whether we win or lose the majority in the Senate, which I am still optimistic about in the U.S. Senate. We have Utah that's up in the air. We have uh, Georgia that's up in the air. We have Arizona that's up in the air. And uh, I think worst case, it'll be split 50-50 again. Best case, we'll have one or two votes uh, majority in that uh, in that chamber. But regardless of whether we win it or lose it, we now have the majority in the House of Representatives, which means that no legislation will be able to get through for the next two years. It will be stagnant. It will be that lame duck session, which means all we have to try and battle are the Joe Biden executive orders, which is going to be a challenge. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, they're not going to pass anything ridiculous coming out of the House of Representatives. I appreciate that, my friend. 316-721-8255. tacos Take a break real quick. When we come back, we have some other callers on the line. I want to get your thoughts. Do you agree, disagree with the assumption of the governor's race? The crazy part here, Derek Schmidt received 467,000 votes. Chris Kobach, the controversial guy within the party, received 494 thousand votes that's about 30,000 vote difference from an attorney general's race to a governor's race is there some correlation there outside of the third party candidates that did disrupt and have a large part to blame on what happened with the election here what happened for Derek Schmidt to not get as many votes as some of the other Republicans in the down ballot tickets very interesting we'll break some of that down when we come back at your thoughts as well it's Kansas talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker KQAM. Oh,
into the program. A few minutes here before we wrap up hour number one, hour number two. We have Stephen Johnson, our new treasurer-elect in the state. Bottom of the hour, Chris Kobach, our new attorney general-elect as well. So we have a big hour number two. I want to break down this governor's race. There's really two directions that we can go here. There are some that say that Chris, that Derek Schmidt was too radical, and he was too right-wing, and he was too much associated with Brownback because Kelly ran that he was a Brownbacker. Guess what? His job was the attorney general's race. His job literally was to defend the state of Kansas, which was Governor Brownback at the time as attorney general. That doesn't mean he's a Brownbacker, quote unquote. That means that he did his damn job by defending policy that the state was making that was from the legislature and from Brownback. But whether he agreed with it or not, that's how it was. So there's one position that says he was too radical and that he needed to go further to the middle to try and win over independents and moderates in the state because he was just too far to the right, which there are some that believe that. Uh, according to his internal camp, they were concerned about the voter turnout in Johnson County, which they knew they were going to lose, but they were hoping to do better in Johnson County than what they actually did, which is what really kind of cost them. At the same time, the margin here in Sedgwick County, which is kind of the swing county nowadays, uh, I mean, we've got to admit, Cedric County is the purple county. It is the swing county that's going to win or make or break. Governor Kelly won again with eight counties out of 205 counties in this damn state. She won with eight counties. Cedric County, being one of the larger ones, is that swing county. And Derek Schmidt did much better in Cedric County than what Chris Kobach did in the governor's race four years ago. So that is good news. We're winning on that front. We have to do better at our messaging right here. What we do on this program, what you do out there in the streets, what happens right here in this county, in Cedric County, makes or breaks elections. Makes or breaks elections for statewide races. So... Either he needed to go further to the left to win over moderates and independents, or he needed to go further to the right to win over the hardcore independents like Dennis Pyle and the Libertarians. What direction does he go? What candidates moving forward, the messaging that the state Republican Party needs to come out with, which direction do they go? Do they go more moderate to win over the squishies? Or do they go further right to win over the libertarians and the hardcore independents that just aren't pure enough for the conservative party? That's the question to be had. We have some calls on the line. Didn't have enough time to get to you here at top of the hour. We'll get to you as soon as you come back. Don't hang up. Don't hang up. We'll get to you as soon as we come back and kick you off with our number two. It's Candace Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker 1480 KQAM. Stay here. Unfiltered. Broadcasting live from West Wichita in the KQAM studios. It's time for your weekend kickstart with Wichita's number one conservative talk radio host. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back in to Candace Talk. It is hour number two of Candace Talk. What up? Welcome in. Happy Saturday to you. Trying to get you up and moving for another weekend. A nice, cool one, finally. It only took us till the middle of November to actually get some cool weather. It's about darn time. Welcome in. Great to have you along for the ride today. 316-721-8255. 316-721-TALK. If you want to join into the show, I want to get your thoughts here momentarily. We have a lot to talk about. Phil Martinez came in last hour, breaking down some of these elections. The governor's race. Why did Governor? Uh, why did Derek Schmidt receive about thirty thousand votes less than the rest of the Republicans? 
And as we had two independent third-party candidates trying to run, stealing away, did those take away from Derek Schmidt? Was there just a lack of enthusiasm? And moving forward with Republican candidates for the governor's race to win over the state, do they go further to the right or further to the left? I think personally, Derek Schmidt was kind of right in the middle. He was happy. He was a a center-right individual, a conservative guy. Not a firebrand, not a controversial guy like Chris Kobach by any means. He was essentially like a teddy bear. He was fantastic. He was a great guy. We love having him on the program as attorney general multiple times on this show. But what happened? Why did he not receive the votes like the other Republican candidates did as we dominated down-ballot Republican tickets across the board? What happened with that governor's race? I find that kind of interesting. 316-721-8255. I want to tell you about my friends over at Napoleon Appliance Repair. You can find them on Facebook, Napoleon Appliance Repair, LLC. Any type of appliance that you may have in your home, don't go out and buy a new one. 7, 7.7, 8% inflation in this nation. You don't need to be buying a whole bunch of new garbage. Get it replaced. Get it fixed. Make it last. And those guys can help you out. They have many years of experience. They can help out with any type of appliance that you have at home. I can't wait to get them out to see why my ice maker in my fridge continues to hate me and it's not just this fridge it's like the four fridges that i've had in my lifetime they all make ice during the winter time don't make it during the summertime i don't know what's going on i think there is a curse on not allowing me to have ice because i have to have ice in my drink no matter what type of drink that i'm having these guys are going to come out and check it out it is napoleon appliance repair llc also give them a call at 316-409-1525 again 316-409-1525 great partners here on candace talk and on kqam so uh just to give you a quick rundown again and we'll take some calls before we get to our interview with stephen johnson Laura Kelly end up winning over Derek Schmidt, 49 to 47, 482,000 to 467,000, a 14,900 vote, essentially 15,000 vote difference. The independent that was a hardcore Republican, a purist conservative constitutionalist that did not like Derek Schmidt with the sole intent to disrupt Derek Schmidt came in at 19,800 votes, almost 20,000 votes. We needed 15. He got almost 20. I guarantee you 90% of those votes would have gone to Derek Schmidt if Dennis Pyle was not in the race. The Libertarian candidate also pulled in just over uh, 10,000 votes in that race. The Libertarians are more difficult to win over because they are more the purists and say that either we want everything or we're going to go off the cliff holding our flags held high because we don't like the two-party system. I respect it, but at the same time, we could have really used those as well. But the Dennis Pyle one was the big one. 19,800 votes. At the same time, overall, Derek Schmidt was roughly 30,000 votes short from other Republican candidates. Chris Kobach, for example, won 494,000 votes in his race as a way more controversial figure in the Republican Party and statewide in general than Derek Schmidt was. So the big question is, with the debate ongoing, do we win over the more quote-unquote purist Republicans that went for Dennis Pyle and we go further to the right to try and win them back over? Or do they go further to the left? And try and win over moderate, squishy independents. I don't know what I stand for. Which essentially is what it is. I mean, there's a vast difference in policy between Laura Carley and Derek Schmidt. If you're one of those in the middle, I don't know which one to vote for. I don't know which one I like better. Then you have no you have no values. You have no morals. You have no you know stance on where you actually believe. You're just sitting there listening to campaign ads on TV making your decision for you. Because there's a very clear difference between the two. Under uh, from talking internally from the Schmidt campaign, they say that the 
they were hoping to pull a little bit better in Johnson County. Obviously, they weren't going to win Johnson County because it is a very purple, very blue district. However, they needed to do and do better in Johnson County than what they actually did. So early on, they were a little concerned about the race. Within Sedgwick County here, however, they did way better than what Chris Kobach did by only losing by about a point in Sedgwick County. And that's good news. So us here in our area in South Central Kansas, we did our job. We pulled out the win at least better than what was done in the past. So that's something that we should applaud ourselves for in that race. It's up in Johnson County, Shawnee County, Wyandotte County areas that are a big concern for us. So the question is, do we go further to the right moving forward to win over those? Or do we move further to the left to win over the changing, larging population that is those areas up there? Let's get your thoughts on this. 316-721-8255. Uh, 316-721-TALK. Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Scott. Scott, what's going on, sir? Well, uh, let me start out first by saying that they had a question on the ballot about uh, politicians over unelected, unaccountable uh, bureaucrats. And I think that shouldn't have been as close as it is because uh, politicians are accountable. Bureaucrats, they hide yeah. under their job titles and things. And their number one weapons of choice are two words, health and safety. Yes. They'll use those to create policies that contradict what the people want. And politicians need to have the power to put them in their place. So I don't know why that race was as close as it was. Well, and it's still now, not called yet. Place. That one's still not called yet. And the no vote right now is up by roughly 7,000 votes. It does not look like it's going to pass, but that one is still not called. So we could squeak it out, but I'm not optimistic. But now the thing about it is, uh, to answer your question, uh, I think it was important that any politician make sure that he first find out what the people want. And then once he know what the people want, then he also has to uh, balance that with what the law says. So if there's a problem with the law, then they need to get on their representative and say, hey, you need to change this law here sure. so that we can make it what the people want. But it's important that he listen to what the people want. And I don't think Derek Smith did that, even though Laura Kelly is a very, very bad governor. Yeah. He didn't show that he wanted to represent the people. And, and Chris Colbert is a man who believes in uh, the law, and he also represents the people. So I think that's why he got it. Interesting. So you think it was a messaging problem from the Schmidt campaign that they just didn't message their their mission and what their purpose was good enough to the voters? They should have they made it clear that whatever their position was was the position of the people. They, you know, what, this is what the people want. Sure. Now, you are not necessarily always agree, but you have to go by what the people want and what the law says. Yeah. Then you always do good. Very interesting. All right, Scott. Well, I appreciate that very much. I want to uh, run through some calls here before we get to our interview, but I appreciate that. Very interesting insight for sure. Uh, let's go back to it. Line number two. Good morning. Who's this? This is Ray. Ray, how are you, my friend? I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I agree with the other callers, but but once again, I'm, I'm calling in to complain. Uh, the Republicans do not support Brownback, and they do not educate the people on the success that he was, mm. and they're almost afraid to bring his name up and defend him. You know, you bring up a really great point. That was the entire Kelly campaign, was that he was yes, a Brownbacker, and it is unfortunate yes. 
because first off, Brownback's completely irrelevant now. We're four or five years past Brownback. I don't know why his name is still there, but to many Democrats and to many people in Kansas, the name Brownback resonates like a Donald Trump name. Either you like him or you hate him, and they don't know what he did. And the messaging against him has been absolute blatant lies and false lies. And Derek Schmidt did not respond to any of that stuff while Kelly was running constantly about how he was nothing but supporting Brownback. This is the second governorship we've lost because the Republicans are embarrassed by Brownback. And if they don't get their stuff together, it's going to keep happening because they're a bunch of dummies. <laughs> well, I think they're and, I think they're soft. They don't stand up and say this is not true. I mean, I could pull up a website very easily to the Kansas Department of Education, the State Department uh-huh. of Education's website, and show them exactly how every accusation of him cutting school budgets is an absolute radio-edited FCC violation word. Exactly. It's not true. All of it is lies. But the media runs with it. The narrative is that he cut education. He didn't care about teachers and education. And Kelly ran with that, and people believed it. For, for the most part, uh, I get around a lot. And the people I talk to, when I bring up Brownback, they don't know how to react. They're afraid to say, yeah, he was a good man. Yeah. And that's, uh, maybe that's it. Maybe it's just that name, Brownback. Maybe you're right. It was that. And Derek Schmidt, in all of his campaign ads, never mentioned a single thing about defending himself and saying, hey, I was yep. the attorney general. I didn't agree or disagree. It was my job to defend the state. I have nothing yeah. to do with Brownback on my own individual. It's yeah. almost like how John McCain lost the presidential race after George W. Oh. Bush because they just linked the two together, and they didn't do a good enough job with their separation, saying, I am my own individual person. Look at me on my merits, not on his. Republicans have no pride. No. Uh, around here they don't anyway. Yeah, I I can go along with that. Ray, I appreciate that very much, my friend. You, I think you hit a spot on. I think that is a huge part, unfortunately. And it's sad because it's blatantly untrue, and it's completely sad and devastating that that's going to be the hang-up there. But if that is the case, then state Republican Party, get your act together and let's start working on rebranding ourselves and saying, you know what, Brownback was good in defending and coming out and showing the true record or trying to rebrand and stepping away and doing something completely different. That's what you're going to have to do, because if that is what made people not vote for Schmidt, oh, he's just like Brownback, I don't want that again, then we have to do something about that, because you're right, that is now two elections in the governor's race that we've lost because of that mentality. We won all the down-ballot tickets, because none of the other ones were doing the association with Brownback. It was only that. So maybe it was his messaging. Maybe it wasn't going to the further to the right or to the left, but maybe it had to do with just the Kelly attack ads that, by the way, they got $3 million to run additional TV ads in the last four days of the race that ran nothing but how he was a bad brownbacker, and that may have pulled it off. That may have done it. Very interesting. Let's go to our interview. I want to chat with Stephen Johnson. He is our new Kansas treasurer-elect in the state as we talk some budgetary issues, and this is what he had to say right here on Kansas Talk. How are you, my friend? I'm great, Andy, and great to get to be with you. Always good to chat with you. First off, congratulations on the win. We were just talking about what a nail-biter it was Tuesday night going into Wednesday, not even knowing the results for some of the races until about middle of the day on Wednesday afterwards. But, man, Republicans, we fought a hard fight, and we didn't win all of them. But overall, I'd say we did relatively well on on election night this week. We did. On the numbers, a number of things look good. We certainly know the main battle that we want to be stronger on in the future. But uh, yes, as we watch those numbers come in, we we painfully watch for them to tick back to the red side uh, as they start initially coming in on election eve. 
Yeah, that is true. Why is that the fact that when we see these results come in and we hit anywhere between five to ten of the uh, five to ten percent of these numbers coming in, they always report Kansas City, Topeka, and Wichita, which means we see the sixty point jump for Democrats, and then all night we're just hoping that the rural communities come back and match or beat what the Democrats do early on. Why do we have to go through this torment every single election cycle? <laughs> That may be one we could fine-tune with the Secretary of State's office who reports things just based on the timing of when the results come in. So um, uh, that is that is the nature of the speed of whatever is actually showing up. But maybe we can get some more detail uh, on, on how we could spread that out just a little more. Boy, wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't that be nice? Your position, first off, congrats on that one. I know it was a hard-fought battle. And the fact that we could have a conservative looking over our budget, paying our bills, making sure that we're not overspending, you get to kind of manage the finances in this state. Are you ready for it? And are you excited to take on the role? Yes and yes. So uh, get to have oversight. And in particular, I get to partner with our supermajority in the Republican legislature. They are the ones that control the purse strings. I look forward to partnering with them. Uh, what I think the treasurer can add is a little longer term perspective uh, on on what's happening in the budget, how that plays out and and help dig just a little deeper on where we might be able to find some things that we could do more efficiently. That would be nice. Here's the big question. Obviously, working with the supermajority of the conservatives and Republicans in the state legislature is great. Still having a Democrat governor, though, how big of a challenge is that going to be when she wants to expand funding on certain programs, when she tries to uh, sign an executive order for an additional program with the agencies? We didn't pass the constitutional amendment this week as well that gave oversight to the legislature on some of those issues. So talk about that struggle. How are we going to try and rein her in and make sure she's not overspending? Well, it will make the watchdog role more important as uh, any efforts happen on that. It will be more of a challenge on the all-funds budget that the state has. Uh, While most of those are directed federally and where they go, I think we've got to keep a close eye on how those are allocated and uh, and ask for the legislature's help in those situations to make sure that we uh, pick that up as well. On the general fund side, that is one where the legislature does control the purse strings, and thankfully... Uh, we have a direct check there. Not that she may not try to go around it, but we at least have a way to pull that part back in line. But that's, you know, about $9 billion of our state uh, budget of the total 22 there is a lot in that all-funds budget that we have to keep an even closer eye on. Yeah, absolutely. I know that during her first uh, term as uh, governor that she tried to really push for the reamortization of our CAPERS programs, which would have really pushed our budget back quite a bit, trying to fund some of that. Luckily, we didn't do that, and we tried to pay ahead on some of the stuff with the, some of the COVID money that came in. But she's really tried to push for that. Don't know if she's going to for her second term or not. I know being a state treasurer that you're on the board to discuss the CAPERS programs, but how are we looking right now, and is that a concern for you. It it is a concern, and how that is handled is really important because um, that was something that was tried not only once but repeatedly for three years. And that process of going into debt for capers to get 150 million more to spend in the first years to take four billion of taxpayer dollars in the future was a huge issue. So um, we were able to stand up to that in the legislature. Thankfully, the Capers Board also stood up to that particular idea on on reamortization, 
And I believe with both of those checks, we'll be able to hold the line on that idea as well, should it resurface. Sure. That's going to be really good. We're talking with Stephen Johnson, the new treasurer-elect for the state of Kansas. Let's talk about right now the economy, inflation rates, the supply chain, the just how bad the economy is right now. The legislature obviously going to be working on things. Hopefully we can work on trying to lower some taxes right now. But looking at it from the budgetary standpoint, as the treasurer, uh, can we afford that? Are we able to cut taxes? Are we able to deregulate some things and hopefully get this economy in Kansas? us back on track? You know, that is a great question, and we will be learning more as we go into 2023. So our revenues have stayed strong so far. They are going to look strong even in this November consensus revenue estimation that's going to be coming out in the next week or so. But I think we have to be very careful as we look into next year, and I fear our next estimate, which will be in April, could tell us a different story. That impact of inflation on everyday consumers of what we are able to buy and have to make choices between are going to make our individual budgets tough. That's going to make consumption more difficult. That can have an impact on our sales tax revenues. I think we have to be very careful about how we move forward and how we make sure that everything stays in balance. And uh, um, and and we'll look to help from our our tax committees in the legislature to make sure that we have vetted those ideas of uh, what we dare to pull back on. Sure. Well, where do we see the vast majority of our revenue come in from? Is it income taxes? Is it the sales tax right now? Where do we see most of that money come into the state from? Those are the two big ones. Income okay. is just a bit ahead of sales, but those are the two big drivers of the state revenue. Um, the other big tax in the state is property tax, but that is focused more locally on the budget. Oh, sure, sure. So when we start working on the limiting and the incremental decrease of the sales tax on food, I know that we're already trying to adjust for that one. If the economy does take a dive, is that going to harm us? Are we going to still do our rights? Because obviously, to me, I would think that if we see less tax, then people are going to be spending more money on not just food, but on other things as well. So overall, we'd actually be seeing more revenue come in in the long term with people having more money money to spend. The turnover certainly can help with that, um, but the direct impact of the food sales tax is just over $500 million as we move to eliminating it for the state. And if our other revenues don't continue to be strong, it will be harder to fill that gap. Uh, that was one of the reasons that the legislature stepped that in over a couple of years rather than at a cliff, just to make sure that we have that chance to play through a few years of revenue. Sure. As we kind of wrap up with the money from the COVID-19 pandemic and all the money we got in from the federal government, the millions upon millions of dollars from COVID-19, just saying, hey, do what you will with it. I know that we've tried to pay some of our capers. We've tried to set some aside for an emergency fund. Is any of that left? And when you take over the role of state treasurer, are we going to have any of those funds left? And what do you think those would be purposed for? So there's a couple of things that are left that we have. So our ending balance has remained strong. That gives us flexibility to get through the next fiscal year. Um, we filled our rainy day fund through these surpluses also. So that has a few more strings attached to it, which is a good policy. But that's another thing a lot on which we are able to rely should we need to going forward. If the revenues can just stay level, we don't even have to outperform. We would once again have the ability to make some changes. And whether we would be focused as we were this last year on reducing debt, which is a tremendous help for the state, if we can reduce debt, that um, helps us have more long-term impacts on reducing taxes in that that's a permanent reduction in spending. 
So um, that will be the balance. Do we take that money right now, reduce debt, and reduce taxes in the future, or do we take a, a take the money earlier to reduce taxes and carry a little bit more of the debt on the books? Mm-hmm. The progress that we made last year was phenomenal. I think it gives us a legitimate choice to make. Sure, absolutely. That's going to be interesting. Uh, moving over to education real quick. Obviously, the G- Governor Kelly said that she is the education governor, that she wants to make sure they're fully funded, that Brownback didn't fund schools properly, which we know is not true. We looked, looked at the numbers through the Department of Education themselves, and we haven't seen a decrease in education at all. Is that still the main strain on our in our state budget right now? Is that still the vast majority of the money going out? And can that be changed at all? It is the vast majority. And can it be changed? That has been a question that has been handled in the courts and not the legislature, which has been a great frustration. Yeah. Um, so both Governor Brownback and Governor Kelly funded education at the level the courts required. Sure. How there can be such an outcry in the difference in how it is handled is uh, is surprising. Um, but that's how the funding was dealt with through that period of time. So the next piece, yes, it is the majority of funding. The needs in education are great. They will continue to be great. How we best meet those in the light of all of the other demands on the state continues to be the challenge. But it is the largest piece, and it in the court settlement, it is growing at the inflation rate, and it is one of the uh, slightly faster-growing areas, given that particular piece as well. So it's your largest piece and growing to be a larger one. Uh, it makes me concerned. We're talking with Stephen Johnson, the treasurer-elect for the state of Kansas. A couple more questions before we let you go, and I appreciate the time very, very much. One of the uh, plans that Derek Schmidt had if he was to get elected as governor was that he was going to try and get rid of some of the property taxes for those that have retired or the, those that were on Social Security, try and lower some of the property taxes across the state overall, work on some of these tax breaks. I know we've kind of talked about tax breaks already a little bit in the interview already, but uh, those plans specifically that he had as a mission as governor, could we still work on those with you and with the legislature to try and get to Governor Kelly's desk? So yes, uh, those could still be a priority that are set. And um, I think he was focused particularly on the income tax on some of the retirement payments like Social Security and others to, to bring those down and eliminate them. So um, I know our tax committees in the legislature will be having those debates. And uh, to your earlier question, it'll be looking at, can we do that and be confident in the revenues that we have to make sure we meet the demands on the state? There it is. That was Stephen Johnson, state treasurer-elect for the state of Kansas. He'll be taking uh, the position in January. Great conversation with him. We appreciate him very much. Great guy. We'll have him on the program regularly as a state treasurer here and talking about our budget. And obviously, since I'm a dork that way, and we like to focus a lot of attention on that subject. When we come back right around the corner, we'll continue this with some of our newly elected officials. Chris Kobach, our new attorney general-elect. What will the legal mind of the state look like when we come back here right around the corner on Kansas Talk? Right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 KQAM. It's time to tell him he's wrong at 316-721-TALK. This is Kansas Talk with Andy Hoosier. Welcome back into Kansas Talk right here on Wichita's Big Talker, 1480 KQAM, Wichita's number one conservative talk radio. We appreciate you 
very, very much right here on the program. Really happy to have this guy on the program now that the elections are done from this last week. And what a week it was seeing all those results come in for a good day or two. But our new Attorney General-elect, I'm happy to say, Mr. Chris Kobach on the line with us here. Chris, how are you, my friend? Doing great. Good. It is good to have you on. First off, congratulations on the race. I know it took them an extra day, but it is finalized. You are officially the nominee, and I couldn't be more excited to see all of the lawsuits that you're going to be throwing against the Biden administration. <laughs> <laughs> it it uh, could be exciting. I wish I could say that uh, you know that there won't be any lawsuits and that Joe Biden has reformed and he's now going to be drilling uh, with enthusiasm <laughs> to get our gas prices down, but I have a feeling that he's going to double down and we're going to be busy. Um, but I'm, I want to say also, Andy, I'm so grateful to the voters of Sedgwick County. Um, winning Sedgwick County was a really critical part of, uh, of my campaign victory and uh, really appreciate the trust that Sedgwick County voters put in me. Yeah, well, I know a lot of people were excited to get you in there. I mean, looking at what's at stake here, and we've said it many times on this program, that the attorney general's seat outside of the governor, outside of the legislature, is probably the most important seat. And you've talked about it on the campaign, obviously, as well, being the front line against some of the issues going on at the federal level, maybe putting a barrier between us and being able to allow Kansas to do what we know how to do, which is take care of ourselves and leave the government uh, out of it at the federal level. Yeah, that's exactly right. Um, because of changes in the way the federal courts have um, have adjudicated standing doctrine over the last 20 years, yeah, now the, sec- the, the attorney general is the official who has the best ability to bring a lawsuit to stop a president when he's violating our constitutional rights or when he's exceeding the the, the boundaries of federal statute, uh, and Joe Biden has been doing both. So we will be leading the charge shoulder to shoulder with Texas um, to stop uh, the Biden administration in court if the, the craziness continues. Yeah, it's going to be a, a step. Now, working with the legislature, working with now, unfortunately, we didn't get the governorship with Derek Schmidt. Uh, Laura Kelly will still be in there. But talk about some of the plans that's going to be going on in the state now in the transition from Derek Schmidt's attorney general's office to now you and what we get to look forward to here in the next few months. Well, one of the things I'll be working on uh, between now and January is uh, a legislative package of, of bills that I'd like to see put in place right away. Um, things like uh, in- increasing the penalties for drug dealers who deal in fentanyl and cause the death of someone. Mm. Um, I'd like to see our, our laws against human trafficking uh, strengthened. Um, I, I think we need to address the problem of drop boxes in Kansas. We were, you know, obviously blessed to have an election that doesn't appear to have seen a significant amount of fraud, but there, that is one uh, weakness in our system. Um, we've got a lot of bills that I'd like to see the legislature address and, and put on Governor Kelly's desk. And uh, let's see if she really is willing to work across the aisle and really is that middle of the road governor she claims to be, uh, because we'll, we'll, we'll find out soon enough. Yeah, amen to that. I mean, that hopefully she says she's going to work in the middle of the road. She hasn't in the last four years, so we'll see if she does it for the next four years. I doubt it, but at least we can stay optimistic on that one. Working with a yeah. supermajority in the Republican legislature, though, it is optimistic that between you and what they can do, we can get some good bills onto her desk. We can actually make some things happen and hopefully have enough numbers to override a veto, unfortunately, if it comes to that. But we could still see some big gains here in the state, can't we? Oh, absolutely. Like one of the bills that I'd like to see move very quickly, and I'm sure legislative leadership will do it, is, is the bill protecting girls' sports from trans athletes. Uh, Governor Kelly vetoed that twice and then claimed on her infamous commercials that she was she has no trouble, no problem with protecting girls' sports against men, is the word she used, competing in them. Um, you know, we'll see. Let's, let's put that uh, bill on her desk, see if she'll sign it this time, and 
uh, if she fails once again, uh, then hopefully we'll have the two-thirds necessary to override her veto. But that's that's one right away that she needs to be put to the test to see if she was honest in that commercial or not. Yeah, absolutely. One of the other issues that was lingering in the last legislative session that's going to be, I'm assuming, going to be addressed in this session as well as the medical marijuana bill. Missouri just passed it in their ballot along with the state of Maryland. I know that we've discussed it and the Senate is going to be addressing it. From the legal perspective, talk about some of the challenges that may come up on this bill if it does move through the legislature and what you could see uh, coming through your office and sitting on the governor's desk. Well, you know, the the whole issue with uh, marijuana legalization, whether you're talking just about medical uh, medical marijuana legalization or also recreational use, uh, there's a whole host of, of issues. One of them is, uh, of course, driving while impaired. You know, unlike uh, alcohol, where you have a clear line of, of blood alcohol concentration and you can say, okay, 0. 0.08 is where the line is, you don't have that with marijuana. and And so it's much harder for law enforcement to uh, to enforce safe driving when you do have a, a marijuana legalization. So that's one thing we've seen in some of the other states. Uh, if it is a medical marijuana bill and if it did pass, uh, then the other big challenge is how do you how do you effectively limit only it to only medical uses? And that's been a challenge. So it, regardless of what may happen in Kansas, there will be some serious law enforcement challenges with it. Yeah, absolutely. On the COVID-19 front, let's shift there for a second. Obviously, I, I got to be honest, I thought Governor Kelly would lose strictly based on a lot of the decisions she made during the COVID-19 pandemic and the irrational, emotional, reactionary responses she had on issues. But now that we didn't pass the constitutional amendment to have oversight on her administration, or at least it's not confirmed as of yet that what we're when we're recording this, but... Uh, with some of those issues, can we do something? Can your office do something? Can you do something to try and protect to make sure that if something like this happens again, we don't shut down businesses, we are essential, we don't have to worry about vaccine mandates or mask mandates or any of the other this garbage? Because I know that's a concern for a lot of people and businesses all over the state. Well, as you know, Andy, this has been an issue that's been very important to me. I continue to represent the members of the Air Force, including a number of airmen at McConnell Air Force Base. Uh, who are challenging the Biden administration on the vaccine mandate. It is a violation of their First Amendment rights, as well as the federal statute, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act of 1993. Um, yeah, if uh, Governor Kelly or if the Biden administration attempts to impose more vaccine mandates, mask mandates, I will absolutely be fighting them from the attorney general's office. I think, uh, you know, this during this COVID episode in our lives in, in you know, in March of 2020, uh, there were many attorneys general who were a little bit hesitant to push back as hard because there was so much uncertainty. Uh, but, you know, we've been through this now. We've seen this evisceration of our liberties that continues with the Biden administration right now, you know, kicking people out of the military uh, over a vaccine that does not work and, and violating their, their liberties when the men and women in uniform are the ones who are protecting our liberties. So, you know, we absolutely have learned from this, I, I hope. And uh, certainly as attorney general, I'll be uh, the first one on the courthouse door uh, if the uh, either the administration in Topeka or the administration in Washington, D.C. Uh, attempts to threaten our liberties again. Amen to that. I love hearing that. We're talking with Chris Kobach, attorney general elected for the state of Kansas after the big elections that happened this week. Let's talk about real quickly some issues coming out of Washington, D.C. Obviously, there's a lot of them. We have the Biden administration still, like you just mentioned, trying to push some vaccine mandates on military and other industries as well, like health care, that sorts of thing. But at the same time, now we're seeing the forgiveness for student loans and we're seeing this social program and that social program is there anything that we can do to stop some of this shenanigans and madness? Because 
I don't think our budget at the federal level can handle these types of social programs. No, it absolutely cannot. And uh, Kansas uh, is one of uh, five states that signed on to a total of six states altogether uh, in a lawsuit that's currently pending. uh, And there's an injunction currently in place to uh, stop the student loan forgiveness because Biden does not have the authority to do that unilaterally under our Constitution. The executive can't spend $500 billion. That's you know half a trillion dollars for giving these loans, even if it were a good idea, which it is not. He doesn't have that authority. So I, I'm confident that at the end of the day, we will win in that lawsuit. And um, uh, you know I would like to see Kansas take a leadership role in, in that litigation uh, once I'm attorney general. But uh, you know, he, he He's probably not going to moderate in the second two years of his term. I, you know, I think Biden's probably going to double down. He's going to do what Barack Obama did when he lost um, control of Congress, and that is he started issuing executive orders like crazy. And uh, if Biden does so, Kansas will be standing ready uh, to take him to court. Amen to that. I love hearing that. Uh, last question for you as well. On the federal level, he's now working at trying to bail out energy because, you know, obviously we can't drill more to lower the price of energy. So therefore, our natural gas, our electric bills are going to go up during this winter time because of a shortage that we have. So his thought is let's not drill more to actually make it more feasible and economical. Let's just sign a check over to help people and relieve them with their bills that they're going to see this winter time. Uh, can we be preventative on that issue as well as we get into the wintertime season? It depends how he does it. Uh, you know, whenever the, the Biden administration tries to do something like this, they look for some way, some legal way that they can do it. And, and of course, with the vaccine mandate, they, they you know, they had this infamous series of workarounds and and we were able to stop most of them in court. But uh, we'll see. What he, we'll see how he tries to do it. I mean, fossil fuels is one of the most irrational areas of Biden administration policy. And that's saying something. I, you know, this is crazy. We are shutting down drilling in our own country. And then when it causes the predictable effect on gas prices and inflation, uh, Biden goes hat in hand and asks the Saudis to increase drilling. It's just insane. Um, you know, last time I checked, uh, there, we're, we're drilling oil from the same planet. Uh, any any uh, effect it would have on the environment uh, would be the same. Uh, indeed, it would probably be worse uh, because other countries don't uh, extract oil as cleanly as we do. You know, it's just it's crazy. But if he continues on this madness of uh, shutting, you know, he even said, he said no more drilling on Sunday, um, you know, six days ago. He, he made that promise in New York. If he continues with that, uh, we will fight him in court because most of the things Biden has done to shut down fossil fuel extraction have been illegal, and I anticipate they will continue to be illegal. Man, I am so glad that you're going to be in there because these are going to be battles that we are going to fight left and right, and I'm excited to hear about them. Real quickly, I, you had mentioned about some of the election stuff here in Kansas. We can kind of tighten up our security. I'm very confident in our system that we have in Kansas, largely because of when you were Secretary of State and you put a lot of these practices in order, where even the state of Georgia ended up mimicking what we do here in 2020 after that election, which got them in a lot of trouble, and the MLB didn't like it, and everybody else got all upset. But we've been doing that for a while, and it's that's because of you. And we applaud you for that. Looking at some of the other races across the nation in Georgia, in Arizona, with Maricopa County, with Michigan, with some of the shenanigans going on up there. Are you still concerned about voter fraud issues going on across the nation? And then what could we do to fine tune the system here in Kansas? Well, definitely I'm concerned with it. There there are some states where uh, voter fraud is is sort of endemic in the system. It's been so deeply ingrained in, in the practices that it's, you know, just it just it's kind of like you know the old Chicago uh, voter fraud machine, and and Philadelphia is one of those places. And anyone who says, "Oh, Pennsylvania doesn't have voter fraud," 
is ignorant. I mean, there's just no denying it uh, in that state. So that's that continues to concern me. And of course, Pennsylvania continues to be such a, a pivotal state in presidential elections and in Senate elections. So yeah, there are certainly places where voter fraud continues to be a problem. Um, we'll wait and see what ev- evidence comes out of Arizona with respect to some irregularities there. You know, I am very uh, grateful that when I uh, put together that legislative package in 2011 to tighten up our security in Kansas, it, it was passed, and we do have uh, the toughest state, the strongest laws against voters uh, against voter fraud of any state in the union. But that doesn't mean that election fraud can't still happen. You you'll never be able to fully prevent it. And, um, you know, certainly as attorney general, uh, one of the authorities the attorney general does have is the authority to prosecute election fraud. So if some fraud still does occur and we have evidence of it, uh, then I wouldn't has will not hesitate to prosecute it. It's what it's all about. I love it. It's Chris Kobach, attorney general elect for the state of Kansas here. I am so happy. We may not have won all the big elections statewide here in Kansas, but this was a big one that we got. It was a big victory for you. I'm so glad you're in there. Congratulations, my friend. Keep up the fight. and We can't wait to talk to you as your attorney general. Thank you. Will do. There it is. That was uh, Chris Kobach, Attorney General-elect. Congratulations on him. The big race there. That does put us in a good position, even without the governor's race. So we'll continue to chat with him and get the updates on what's going on from that office. All right, we'll take a break. We've got one more segment right around the corner. We'll have our update from the AARP. Also take some more phone calls. Get your thoughts on the races, on how things went, on what you'd like to see moving forward, and the messaging from the Republican Party. How do we unite the party? How do we bring everybody back in? And how do we bring this back to a red state in Kansas? I also think that reaffirms the conversation that we have all the time as we've started the conversation right here on the show. No one else is talking about it, about electoral college process at a statewide level. No more should eight counties out of 105 dictate an entire statewide race. No more. It's time for a change, and it's time for proper representation all across the state. We'll talk about some of that when we come back as well. I want to remind you as well, an opportunity to win your Thanksgiving turkey with us right here on the Big Talker KQAM, Yoder Meat, and all of our great partners. Listen to John Wright every weekday morning from 6 to 8 a.m. as we do our KQAM turkey drop that we've done for years and years and years. Get your chance to win a Thanksgiving bird. I know that's kind of nice with the 7% inflation rates and the shortage of turkeys. Thanks, Joe Biden. We'll help you out here with KQAM. Lots more coming up right around the corner on Kansas Talk on the Big Tucker KQAM. We're talking again with the AARP, whether it's the Fraud Watch Network, Retirement Calculator, getting involved in the community. Make sure to check them out online, aarp.org slash KS for the state of Kansas. Also find them and follow them on their social media as well. Glenda's back on the line with us today. Glenda, how are you? I am doing well today, Andy, and you? Doing great. We are moving our way through the month of November. Things seem to be just going faster and faster every single day, but nonetheless... Every as, day. Every day. And as we move through, we've talked about holiday scams. We've talked about ways to protect ourselves with this Fraud Watch Network, but we are still in the middle of open enrollment right now for Medicare, which means I'm sure that there are ways for individuals to try and be scammed by trying to sign up for different uh, coverages. What's going on right now? Right. Absolutely. As you said, it is open enrollment season, which also means it's Medicare fraud season, right? Um, and so eligible beneficiaries have until December the 7th to shop for the best deal for their health care dollars. 
but we want them to know that unfortunately some of the deals offered won't be deals at all. So that's what we have to be aware of and look out for scams because Medicare scams spike during open enrollment season, which you imagine that, right? And then with scammers posing as insurance providers offering free gifts or limited time offers. So, you know, those are the things that they have to be aware of. And these scams are all designed to capture the information that can be used to bill Medicare fraudulently. Yeah. Yeah, it is concerning. I mean, now the time that everybody's looking at this information, it's so tricky to find the proper information at times, especially stuff that's coming through your text messages or emails or that sort of thing. you got to be really careful. Yes, yes. So we really want everyone to be suspicious of anyone who calls you or who emails you or visits you promoting a Medicare plan. And this was interesting, I think, even for me. Legitimate health care plans can only contact you if you've requested information or if you've had an existing relationship with them, for example, a plan with them at some point. So we want to avoid giving personal information to anyone who calls or visits out of the blue and always review your Medicare or your explanation of benefit statements to ensure that there are no fraudulent charges that are being included. Again, just being a fraud fighter and trying to absolutely spot a scam in these Medicare enrollment plans. That and is, then that way you can spot them, you can stop them. Amen to that. That's really good information. Now, it's not just Medicare as well. It's really just open enrollment for health insurance in general if people are signing up for stuff. And yes. we need to be aware of it just uh, kind of all around the board, don't we? All around the board because everyone can get different um, options or offers that can be scammed. So, yes, be very much aware in this open enrollment time frame. Wow. It is very concerning. Now, at the same time, we are Obviously, coming out of COVID-19, are we still seeing COVID-19 scams as well with maybe vaccine cards or with trying to get information uh, and that sort? Is that still ongoing right now? Well, you know, all scams are still ongoing. We don't want anyone to let their uh, guards down uh, because as the um, winter season comes on and there's more, you know, talk about it at some point or if there, you know, if it comes up, there's always the opportunity for a scam. So we always want to be able to spot it in case that, it does rear its ugly head, even during the COVID at this time. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. What else is going on with the AARP? You guys always have your, your virtual stuff, your movies for grownups, a lot of different events in the communities. What else is going on? Yes. And so as far as Fraud Watch, we will have next Friday, our Fraud Watch Friday um, Facebook Live. But we also have the second and the fourth Friday, we will have our concert uh, in November. So we really want everyone to live to log into those and then just, checking out our Facebook page and our YouTube uh, pages for events and different happenings. Always things going on at aarp.org slash ks for the state of Kansas. Find them, follow them on their social media as well. Check out the website for all the great information. Glenda, we always appreciate it. Have a wonderful week. Let's do it again next week. Thank you. You Take care, Andy. Goodbye. There it is. That's our weekly update with the AARP. We appreciate them very much as well. All right. We got just a couple minutes left here on the show. Covered a lot of ground as we covered election season. Coming up in the next few weeks, we'll be focusing and shifting gears into legislative session of 2023. Also, some of the issues going on in the state. The Kansas Board of Education has officially voted to get rid of Native American mascots in the state. Agree, disagree with that one, plus some other major issues going on as well. So we'll have some fun with those topics in the next few weeks. Get set. And Thanksgiving is right around the corner, too. But with just a couple minutes left here, let's go to the phones and take a phone call if we can here. Line number one. Good morning. Who's this? Guess who, Andy? It's Nick. Mr. Nick, how are you, my friend? 
Very well. Hey, I just wanted everybody to know that I voted up down the Republican ticket. And even though 2018, when I asked Kobach not to lose on liberty issues like cannabis, even though 2022, uh, Derek did not call me. I asked him to call me at the first inaugural Kansas Fights Addictions Act Grant Review Board uh, dealing with the opioid money and addiction. He didn't call me. I'm going to uh, make a resolution for the first district that we take cannabis off the Controlled Substances Act and not have this uh, darn thing be uh, a thing anymore, regardless of campaign finance, bully leadership, or anything like that. We don't need more far right, and we don't need more far left. We need constitutional people to make sure the state of Kansas remains free and take care of the people, and, and that's just it. I'm tired of the retardedness. Uh, uh, in this area, in this subject, and I think it's time that we wake up and smell the coffee so next uh, election cycle we can get the second floor back and de defend the liberties of the people of Kansas. God bless you, Andy. I thank you for your show. You have a good day. Hey, that is a good one. I tell you what, the legislative session, that's going to be a number one issue I think they're going to address. The Senate's going to pick that one up, and I think that we could see some medical stuff moving forward. We could see a big conversation in that area. Oh, in, about, in about 20 <laughs> seconds, do you think it's going to go through this year? Do you think we're going to do it? I'm going to do my hardest to be kind, loving, humble, and try to get my message across so the leadership would get behind the people of Kansas because they want cannabis off the Controlled Substances Act totally. I don't care what you call medical carrots, medical eggs, medical yeah. water, whatever. Give us our plant and our freedom. That's what That's it's it. about. Nick, I appreciate it, brother. Always good to hear from you. Well, I tell you, I think that there is more momentum in the state to do that now with that issue, especially after the state of Missouri just passed their recreational bill on Tuesday this week as well. So now we have medical about to go recreational in Oklahoma. We have recreational in Colorado. We have recreational in Missouri. We are sandwiched between all of it. Kansas needs to get on board and actually address this issue and get updated whether they want to or not. I know State Representative Nick Hoheisel will be addressing that one and has been focused a lot on that. We're going to have him on the show here over the next few weeks as well to talk specifically about that issue. So, Nick, I love it. I appreciate you, brother. Always good to have you on. That does it for us today. Back at it next weekend for another episode of Candace Talk, the voice of reason on Monday. Until then, have a great weekend. We'll see you on the radio.